All right. <laughs> oh, my. Now, that just raised the bar. So I'm very honored to uh, lead you into uh, that rebellion of doing things that uh, Good Shepherd Church usually doesn't do. So, yeah. Over the last couple months, I have had this wonderful privilege kind of behind the scenes of conversing and talking and working with a number of the staff here at the church and Pastor Talbot. And, um, you know, relationships can just be so challenging and difficult. So I wanted to frame the beginning of, of our time together with a more positive note. So I titled this Winning at Relationships, which kind of begs the question, okay, how do you win at relationships? So as I was looking around, I came across some uh, what I call the junior experts about relationships. These are kids ages five to 10 that answered questions about love, dating, and marriage. So I thought I'd give you some of their wisdom. Question number one, what is the proper age to get married? Judy, age eight, said 84 years old. <laughs> now she explains, get this, at that age, she says, you don't have to work anymore and you can spend all your time loving each other in the bedroom. You didn't know how much you have to look forward to, did you? <laughs> Tommy, age five, is a bit more optimistic. He said, when I graduate kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> Winning at dating. What should people do on a date? Michael, age 10, says, well, on the first date, you ought to tell just a bunch of lies about yourself, <laughs> which usually gets them interested in a second date. <laughs> Transparent and perceptive. Now, why do people fall in love was asked to Jan, age nine, and she goes, I, no one really knows why people fall in love, but I heard it has something to do with how they smell, <laughs> which I think is why deodorant and perfume is so important. And Dave, age eight, he said, love will find you even when you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from love since I was five years old. <laughs> you know, we're all looking for answers to our relationship concerns or questions. But I submit to you that God actually has a formula for winning at relationships. And so I'm going to give you this biblical formula, and we're going to take a little bit of time to unpack it. And then I'm going to transition about halfway through our time to go to a very practical implementation of that formula, and I'm going to use this relationship attachment model that um, you'll kind of be introduced to as a, as a practical kind of like visual aid, a tool for understanding how we can win at our relationships and follow God's formula. So let me give you the biblical formula for winning at relationships. It's really pretty simple. God's provision plus your effort equals winning at relationships. You see this really all through the New Testament, this formula, but I wanna to go to Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi. It was actually considered, even though only four chapters long, his most personal, intimate letter. And of course, on every page of that letter, 
you read about his priority of relationships. And when you get to chapter two, it comes to this kind of epitome where this, this culmination about relationships. And so I'm going to read the first four verses, but I, I just want to point out that he uses this grammatical framework, if, therefore, then. This if-then framework. And it's not if like it's hypothetical, you know, if this, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it's an if, without being technical, it's an if that is factual. So it's basically saying this, since this is true, it requires then this response. So keep that in mind when you see the word if and then as I read. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if, or since, you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So the if is really God's provision. Since we have God's provision of what? Encouragement, comfort, common sharing of the spirit of God, tenderness, compassion, the then tells us what our effort should be. Then, here's your effort. Be like-minded, love, practice oneness. Don't be selfish or vain. Rather, practice humility. Look to the interest of others over your own. Essentially, God has done his part, but he asks of us to do our part, to be intentional about putting forth effort. So I just want to kind of pull out of that passage a couple implications about relationships before we keep going into really understand it more deeply. The first implication is simply this. Our relationships do not run themselves. You see that? If, if it requires with God's provision that we put forth effort, then our relationship requires our effort. We must be involved. Relationships are not self-governing. They, they need somebody to take charge of them, manage them, direct them in some kind of goal-oriented way. And listen, if, if a relationship is not self-running, then a relationship also is not self-correcting. And that's the second kind of implication from this. Relationships do not fix themselves. When a relationship breaks, somebody must do something to help bring that relationship back to wholeness, to, to heal it. I think we have this kind of misguided belief that if my relationship is being led by the Lord and it's a good, healthy relationship, then it does just kind of like run itself. I, I really don't need to pay attention to it because I've given it to the Lord. But what we see in this formula is just the opposite. God's provision demands our response and application. And therefore, we're in partnership in our relationships. When you come down to verse 12 and 13, there's this amazing conclusion that I'm going to go to in a minute. But I just want to say something about this passage from verse 5 all the way through 11. It, it really is the most magnificent 
description of what we refer to as Christology, the, the theology of the second person of the Godhead, our Lord Jesus. And it says, referring to Jesus, who being in the very nature or essence of God, the clearest statement that he is God himself. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. So he lays it aside, his rights, his entitlements, his power, and he steps out of the throne of divinity into the realm of humanity. The creator, get this, becoming creation. And then it goes on and it says, and took on the very nature of a servant. And as a servant, he then humbled himself, not only in serving others, but in dying, and then the most humiliating death on a cross. Now you say, why did Paul write all that about Jesus when he was talking about our relationships? Ah, that's really important. And you see it right in verse 5 as he introduces this great Christological passage. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same mental template as Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? This is what he's saying. God gave you a provision, but he did more than that. He actually gave you a role model, an example. And God doesn't ask you to do anything in your relationships that he himself has not first done. That is the Lord we love and worship. So let me go to the conclusion in verses 12 to 13 and just kind of do a quick couple word studies to unpack this a little more. In 12 and 13, Paul says, therefore, meaning I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to wrap up what I'm telling you about this formula for winning at relationships. In conclusion, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This little formula actually is, re, is kind of like brought to life in a, a word study. And you guys know that the New Testament was not written in English. It was written by the writers of the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul, in the Greek language. And the word work out and the word work in are actually two very different Greek words. So let me start with verse 13 of God's provision where it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. So what does that word work in? Well, if I told you the Greek word, you'd actually recognize it. It sounds just like an English word. It's um, energase, from which we get the word what? Energy or energize. So isn't that amazing? God doesn't just give you information. Here, here's a bunch of information, learn it and do it. He says, I'm going to dwell inside of you. I'm going to come to, to live in your frame. You're going to be my temple. I'm going to dwell in you. And in your presence, in your very being, I'm going to energize you. And energize what? It says, look at verse 13 again. It is God who energizes you to will. That's your motivation. That's your, that's your willpower. That's your, that's your want to. And you say, well, what does that have to do with relationships? Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I know what God wants me to do with my wife or with my adult daughters or grandkids or whomever, right? 
I know what God wants me to do, but I, I, I just don't feel like it. Do you ever have that? See, but when you walk in the Spirit, God is energizing your will, your want to. He's helping to, to motivate you to do, and then he's not only energizing you to will, but to act, to actually perform it, to actually have the ability to do what he asks you to do. That is a phenomenal provision. But I want you to see it needs to be matched, that provision, with an equal amount of your effort. This is where it says, verse uh, 12, you should continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you're like, what, what does that mean? Well, it's not energize. It's actually a word that is most often translated, bring it to completion. Like, finish it. Keep, you know, it's like the Nike slogan, right? Which is what? Yeah, just do it. Work it out. Take it to completion. Or maybe Larry the Cable Guy captured it a little better when he said, get her, thank you. <laughs> we, even know, we even know how he talked, right? Get her done. So what we're saying here is like, listen, this is, this is something that God wants you to get done, how your relationships should run. That word, work out, that I'm mentioning, what's really interesting is that it was used in an ancient Roman writer. Uh, his name was Strabo. And he was describing, he was writing in Greek, but he was describing what the Roman soldiers were doing over in Spain about 50, 60 years before Jesus came on the scene. And he used this word to describe them digging out of the earth precious, you know, gems. And they were working out of the earth. They were extracting from the earth those precious gems. And it gives you this wonderful imagery that God has, if you notice, God has deposited salvation into your being. But he calls you to continue to get it done of mining out of your salvation the practical ways that your relationships should run with the provision of God. Here's the provision of God. Here's your effort. Dig it out. Mine it out. Put your shoulder to the wheel. So that leads us to this kind of second half. What exactly does that look like? You know, what is our effort supposed to be? And I'll just tell you a little bit about my background. I think I've kind of lived in this space for 40 years of my career. I, I call it trying to come up with the how-tos for God's ought-tos. Like how to make things understandable because so many things are conceptual and kind of out of our reach. And really, shortly after my wife and I married um, in uh, 1979, 44 years ago, how about that, huh? Yeah, well, she, she has a lot to be honored for, so. We, uh, we were part of a church plant and as I went through that and did a couple degrees from seminary, as I felt kind of a desire to, to get more involved in counseling uh, from that church plant, we ended up transitioning and I was doing a, a doctoral work and um, started to really uh, go into a counseling practice and, 
and that whole kind of time frame, so now it was about seven, eight years into our marriage. We now had a couple preschool kids. My academics were all about relationship theory and relationship research. And I was just kind of counseling and had come out of that pastoring. And everything was all about relationships. I was, you might say, immersed in relationships. And what struck me was that both in the Christian world as well as in the psychosocial world that I was in, I kind of foot in both worlds, there was not really a clear visual description, kind of a, of a model for what exactly is a relationship. So that's where I kind of worked on developing that. So if you look up the word relationship in the dictionary, it's simply a connection between two or more people. So I asked the question, well, if a relationship is kind of this macro connection, what are the, the fibers? What are the micro connections that all work together to make up a relationship? And what I found was these are the five fairly universal ways that we connect. How we know somebody or they know us, right? And that their ranges. So they're, they're, we know them a lot or we know them a little. And, but knowing somebody and trusting them is very different, right? There's somebody that you don't know very much and you trust them a lot, and then as you get to know them, what happens? That goes down. <laughs> Hopefully not in your marriage, but you know, that happens. Uh, rely is kind of how you, it's like the meeting of needs. So you think about Gary Chapman's love languages and all the ways we meet needs. These are ways we form these kind of like interdependence, like a, an exchange. I do something for you and you do it for me. And that becomes an interreliance, and that's very bonding. And it's very bonding when somebody's committed to you and they make you a priority and, and touch is very bonding. That can be just if we're thinking about affection and you're going through a hard time and somebody just puts a hand on your shoulder. Or if we're talking about a romantic relationship, the touch can go into the sexual realm, which is also, we know, very, very bonding. Each one of these on its own, on its own is very bonding. Let me, let me just give you an example. I'll take no as an example. I was uh, flying out of Cleveland, Ohio, and I sat down on the airplane, this was a number of years ago, and this woman comes on probably in her early 60s, and she's like manic, you know, she's like all excited, she's got like five or six packages and shoving them in the bins above and under his seat, and she sits down and we kind of connect, and I, I say, um, hi, you going home, it looks like you've been shopping, I don't know why you'd come to Cleveland, Ohio to go shopping, but... She's like, no, I'm from St. Louis. That's where we're flying. She goes, from St. Louis, my kids live there, all my grandkids, everybody's there. I haven't been home for over a year because my job transferred me here to Cleveland. And, oh, I finally got a, a couple weeks vacation. I'm going to go back and love on my grandkids. And, and let me hear, let me, let me show you my grandkids. They're so cute. So she pulls out her phone. She starts showing me her grandkids. And I think this is going to be a quick little thing. But so I'm just kind of doing the, you know, the grunt language. Uh, 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 right? And she's going, but she just is it's so excited. She is nonstop, and it's 20 minutes before she even comes up for a breath. And I'm, getting, I'm meeting her kids, and I'm getting to know her pretty well, and her grandkids. And when she comes up for a breath, I'm doing what I call bobblehead listening. Where and you know when you get into that like a trance, because they just go on and on and on. And she stops, and I'm just still bobbing. And she, it's that awkward moment. She's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know your name. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm John Van Epp. And she goes, are you going home? I go, no, I'm, I'm going to a university in St. Louis and I'm um, teaching graduate students in a program that I developed. And um, she goes, oh, is that like a business course? 
I go, no, it's, um, it's a relationship course. Um, she goes, what, what's it called? I go, oh, it's, not really an, it's not really an academic name. Um, how to avoid marrying a jerk. She goes, oh my gosh, where were you when I needed you? I've been married five times. <laughs> Let me tell you about my first husband, second husband, third husband, fourth, fifth, the guy I'm seeing now. When we stand up and we say our goodbyes, standing in the aisle of the plane, what do you think she does? Yeah, I'm gonna make it crooked, I didn't hug her back. <laughs> I mean, come on, five, yeah, something might be wrong there. So, this is what I want you to see. These five areas, if you think about it a little analytically, they're two-way streets. I know you, you know me, I trust you, you trust me, right? They're two-way streets. If we just isolate only one of them in that story and make it a one-way street, she only knew my name and I'd had this program, but I knew a ton about her. She felt known, and by feeling known, she felt bonded. A relationship is comprised of these five very dynamic bonds. And so in your relationship, understand that God calls you to manage, to, to handle, to, to run these bonds. So I'm going to give you four practical steps. The first one is about a new relationship, and the latter three, second, third, and fourth, those three will be about sustaining a relationship. But let me just, let me just start with a very practical step of application how does this help us in building a new relationship? So here's the step one. Build a new relationship in the safe zone. You say, what, what do you mean safe zone? Well, I mean, technically, these five just are invisible bonds that occur in our relationships. I'm trying to make the invisible visible. And there's really no order to them. But if you think about a brand new relationship, in fact, let's just take dating as an example. If you're thinking of a dating relationship, there's actually a, a logic to this model when you think about sequence. And it's simply don't let a level get higher than any to the left. Don't get to know somebody in a dating relationship a little bit and trust them a lot. Can you just see how that looks risky? Give me a nod if you see risk. And it happens all the time. Or don't all of a sudden start doing things for them or letting them do, you know, don't, don't form this kind of emotional connection, this emotional almost enmeshment. Don't drop all your friends. We see this one all the time. Where is George? I don't know. He met somebody. Oh, all his time and all his energy and all his focus. His priority is hyper-focused and don't do this. Which, <laughs> good shepherd, don't do that. But I'm telling you, in Charlotte, that's going on. There's sex happening when they don't even know or trust each other. In fact, this, this is the new normal. This is the way that mainstream dating builds relationships. Do you see that? It's all around us. And I just submit to you, this is so vulnerable. You have created a bond of your heart through trust, through sex. You're creating a bond of your heart that's actually overriding the judgment of your mind. So you see a problem, right? You see a little issue. 
But then you, you minimize it, you overlook it. And we see this all the time. Love is blind because you've gotten these out of balance. You're not building from left to right. You know, when you go out on the first date or the second date or you're building that new relationship, you know, uh, let's be real. That, that person that you're in a relationship with, you're not really getting to know the real person. You're getting to know their Facebook representative. You know what I'm talking about? Their social media representative. And then it's just a matter of time that the real person starts to show up. And when that real person shows up, they can look very different than that Facebook representative, right? So you gotta, you gotta, we call it the 90 day probation period. The patterns and the true character of somebody starts to emerge only usually around three months. And there's an added bonus. Listen, there's a, as you guys go through this series, there is a whole material, set of material that the, the, the high school students are gonna be going through, that all singles can go through. And we, what I did is I, I, I found a set of research studies that were, I felt like nobody was really organizing them because they were predictors, premarital predictors of marriage outcome. Like what about somebody before marriage actually predicts what they're gonna be like in marriage? I thought, how phenomenal. Let's, get, let's find all that research, organize it, and then make it user-friendly for singles as target areas to get to know. And I found that literally several hundred research studies neatly fell into five nice bins or categories. They were the target areas to get to know about somebody else as well as yourself. Look in the mirror. But those target areas help to inform what that person's really like, what their true character is. And then that helps to set the trust, the rely, the commit. And then you always have to know where you have your boundaries of touch. So listen, when it comes to ongoing relationships, right? We've got to talk about um, what is happening, what, what to do, how to sustain. So let's just imagine now, move away from building a new relationship to what are the steps of application, the steps of effort that we should take to sustain an ongoing relationship. If relationships don't run themselves, what do we need to do? So like, let me give you three more points here. Step number two of sustaining an ongoing relationship is simply this. Your relationships, and expect this, your relationships are gonna get out of balance. They're gonna deflate. And it's not just gonna be because somebody did something wrong or something bad. The good things, some of the best things in life are gonna cause these levels to drop a little bit, to start to deflate. I mean, just think about this. Here's a married couple, a typical couple, over the course of their life, what's just one like, normal good thing that's gonna cause their relationship, you know, it's one of these areas or more to start going down? What's one? Kids, kids. I mean, we love kids. We got kids all around here, right? We love kids. We were all kids at one point. But let's be honest. Kids cause these areas to fluctuate along with Everything else you can imagine, right? You can, you know, job, promotions, involvement, church work, uh, new, you know, new, new opportunities, new residences. But my wife and I, our daughters are all grown. So we watch our grandkids. They just live within minutes of where we live. And sometimes our grandkids, you know, like your kids, they look like this, right? 
You all know this look. Yeah, they're all happy. They're hugging on each other. The brother and sister are drinking out of the same cup. And then you blink your eyes, turn the corner, and now they look like this or that or <laughs> this or like that. Look at her face. You know, you've seen that look in one of your kids looking at the brother, right? And my daughter bought Kevin Lehman's book, How to Have a New Kid by Friday, but on Thursday, her daughter put it in the toilet. <laughs> Listen. I want you to just think about what is having a new baby do to your relationship, right? Give me a little shout out. What's one, one area that's going to drop if you have a new baby? Yeah, you might as well just put that in your pocket. <laughs> All right. Guess why? This brought you into existence. That's not right that you take this out of existence in my marriage. But it, it drops. And... And then we're, we're meeting the needs of the, of the baby, you know, and the, the evening, and the baby's colicky, and so we don't even have time to talk together. And all of a sudden, the blessing of a new birth begins to deflate the bonds of our marriage relationship. Do you see this? So I want you to say this with me. It is normal to get out of balance in our relationship. Say it out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, not real convincing, but okay, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are good. I think we're a little misleading. Sometimes we use that word healthy relationships. And the implication, if you, if you analyze it, is if you're not healthy, then you're what? If you're not functioning, well, you are dysfunctional. If you're not good, you're bad. So we start to have this concept that our relationships are either or, all or nothing. And that sets up a tremendous amount of defensiveness. Married couples struggle with this all the time. One of them says, hey, can we talk about our relationship? Why? What's wrong? Now I'm going to get beat up, right? So that's not it. We need to expect the imbalances. So I want you to say it one more time. If you're with your spouse, I want you to look at your spouse and say it as convincing, with much conviction as possible. It is normal to become imbalanced in our relationship. One, two, three, say it. That's good. <laughs> so listen to me. This is so important. The danger isn't that you get out of balance. That's in, that's, it's inevitable. It's unavoidable. The danger is not that you get out of balance. It's what? That you stay out of balance. And that's step number three. Identify your slow leaks. You know, even though this is normal, it's leaking closeness. These are the very dynamic bonds that promote a feeling of connection and closeness. When they go down, closeness begins to feel a little more distant. So here's the married couple. They had their first baby. They look like this. They go through about three, four months, and they're like, we got to get back on it. Then they bring it back up, okay? As soon as they bring it back up, guess what happens? Baby number two. So it goes down again. <laughs> they try to bring it back up. Maybe a little bit, you know, not quite as good. It's happening. It's now, you know, because they don't have any game plan. By baby number three, here it is. All of a sudden, what was a normal three to five months starts to become the new normal for three to five years. And then the married couple, 13 to 15 years. And I just want to say to you so strongly and seriously, this when it goes undetected, it becomes relationship-critical care. You have cracks 
in the foundation that are just waiting to collapse your relationship. There's so many slow leaks. The feeling that your spouse isn't into you anymore. They don't listen to you. They don't talk to you. The no, we're out of the no. We've fallen out of the no. Or in my relationship, I feel a vacancy. Like you're not emotionally connecting with me. You're not meeting my needs. You know, you're not there for me. I don't feel like I'm a priority to you. These things can be tremendous you know, vulnerabilities that go undetected, not for months, but for years until they just aren't even paid attention to anymore. Our, our, our sexual intimacy is, it's not really, we're not on the same page or we don't feel like you understand me or I don't understand you. And all of a sudden we don't even talk about it anymore. If you think that's not happening in churches across America and with good people, then you don't understand how relationships normally get out of balance, and we have to put the effort to identify those because they're slow leaks. And that leads me to my last point, and this is really, this is really what I call the golden ticket. It's like the, it's the, it's the one key to having success in a long-term relationship, and it's this. Establish a plan for managing the bonds of your relationship. If these are the five bonds, I need a plan for managing them, for keeping up with them. Because listen, you know, I, I have a plan for my finances, for our investments. I have a plan for my, my schedule, my work, my, my exercise. You know, we have, a, we have plans, management plans for all these things, but nobody teaches us a management plan for our relationship bonds. They don't even define our bonds. So they tell us, have a great relationship, but they don't give you the how-tos. You're going to embark on a series, and you're going to have wonderful messages from Pastor Talbot really going in deeply to this model, but you're also going to have opportunity for you, you couples to actually work on your management plan because the one takeaway of the study that you can sign up for to do the couple study, the one major takeaway is what we call huddles, and the Becoming Better Together book goes along with the, the guide for the video study that we have. But, but the whole thing is to help couples not only understand this, the virtues and the skills, but ultimately how to use this as a regular check-in, weekly, maybe every other week. Where are we a little, dropped a little bit? We're always going to be dropped. How do we bring it back up to full strength? If you have a couple that does that, on a regular basis for decades, can you just see the trajectory of their relationship will be winning, will be successful. If you're single, then you can go through the single study as, as what will be talked about. You can sign up for that. Sunday evening is going to be a wonderful opportunity for that to expand it. But you're going to learn the five areas to get to know. And I know some of you, I just want to speak for a moment because the high school students are going to be going through that. So some of you in the adult world are like, I'm, I don't have any interest in a relationship. I don't want to go to that. So I want to tell you two things. Number one, you never know what's around the corner. I worked for years with divorce recovery groups, and what was one of the most common patterns was the person that's like, ah, I don't want anything to do with a relationship. I hate that. Next thing you know, they don't show up anymore. Where are they? In a relationship. <laughs> I thought you were against it. I don't know. Right? So I'm telling you, number one, be prepared, get good information. You'll get information. I don't think you've gotten a lot of different places. It's pretty hard to find it. So 
Get good information. And here's the second point to any adults that are like, I, I don't know if I want to do the single study. Well, everything in the, in the discussion guide can be applied to friendships or any meaningful relationship. So that's not a problem. You can talk about any of your meaningful relationships. You don't have to just think about dating. But here's the other thing. We need, we need adults that are dating mentors, that have a wealth of understanding about how to do things different than mainstream, how to build healthy relationships, what to choose um, in terms of partner selection, what predicts what that person's gonna be like. They need to have a wealth of information to be able to share the wisdom. We have this vacuum of healthy dating experiences. And I'm telling you, our dating world is highly dysfunctional. I work a lot in that world and um, just, you need to have that. So singles, Join that small group study. Get good information for yourself, for your own lives, but for the service of others as well. And finally, I just mentioned there's a parent guide because we really believe parents should be first teachers, you know? We want parents to be able to be the relationship, you know, strength with their kids. So all of the material that the elementary's going through, because they're going to be getting material, all of the lessons are summarized in the parent guide. The, the student material is all summarized. And after every lesson, there's a kind of a parent-kid interaction, uh, a series of questions, five, six questions, because we want you to go, we want this to not just stay in the campus, we want this to go home with you. And we want it to uh, cause enriching discussions between you and your kids. So here's my challenge. You know, over these next several months when you kick this off in October, listen, I want you to say, God has a formula, and I want to make that formula a reality in my life. I want, to, I want to seize the provision of God and experience the energizing of my will and my ability, but I want to put my shoulder to the relationship wheel and really put forth effort. And when we take God's provision, we follow Christ's example, and we put forth that effort to apply his provision, that is how we win at relationships. So thank you so much. So I'm gonna, that's nice of you. I'm gonna ask you guys to all stand and uh, bow with me as we speak to our Lord. We just thank you, our Lord, for your love, for your provision, for the example that you never ask us to do anything, sacrifice, humble ourselves, forgive, nothing that you haven't first done for us. May we follow your example, may we honor you, and may our relationships not only be godly, but may they be practically run by us as we put forth the effort that you call us to do. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.